Welcome to Red Leg Nation Radio, your home for discussion and analysis of Cincinnati Reds baseball all year long. Now here's your host, Chad Dotson. Hello everyone and welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. This is episode number 302 of the world's most dangerous podcast. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. With me again this week, your friend and mine, Jason Linden. How are you today, Jason? I am splendid. How are you today, Chad? I'm doing well. This is a special holiday-themed edition of the podcast, I guess. Uh, We're celebrating uh, the holidays, and uh, we certainly had a good Christmas at our home. I trust that you did as well, Mr. Linden? We did, indeed. Typical small kid Christmas. I know yours are getting a little bit older, but I was still roused at an ungodly hour, and, you know, joy was had and all of that stuff. Outstanding, and we hope that everyone uh, out there in the nation had a good time. We have a special... Top 10 list for you, decade-ending top 10 list uh, later on in the podcast we want to talk about. Um, Jason and I have been discussing what might be fun to talk about as we finish the decade of the 2010s, and so we got a little bit of a different top 10 list we'll bring it to you later. But first, let's talk about what little uh, news there was this week. And there wasn't a, a lot, but uh, our, our friend Doug Gray at RedLegNation.com, hardest working man in sports, I guess, because on Christmas Day, he had a piece where he... <laughs> Reported about a report from uh, I don't know like Yahoo in Japan or somewhere. It was a yeah. um, it was a, a Japanese source, and so he had to go through Google Translate because for some reason Doug doesn't know Japanese. What's that all about? Ugh, slacker. <laughs> if you if you haven't read it yet, go read it at redlegnation.com because I love the translation. It's just kind of kind of interesting how some of the things are worded. But essentially, it's that um, Shogo Akiyama a Japanese outfitter that we've discussed here on the podcast before, has uh, spoken with a few teams, and there's some thought that the Reds may be the most aggressive or at least in a position where they uh, may get his services. That's that's about all that you can say about this report, is that the Reds were mentioned as maybe at the top of the group that was chasing after him and that they expect some uh, agreement sometime after the Christmas holidays. So uh, Shogo Akiyama, we can talk a little bit about what he is, who he is, what value he has to the Reds, but it was a kind of interesting news, I guess, I thought, anyway, for a, for holiday uh, ho- holiday newsmaking. What were your thoughts on it? Uh, I, th- I think it definitely is interesting. I will note I saw today where uh, Trent Rosecrans did confirm that, so he's he, I, I gather that probably he saw the report, too, and, and went calling and confirmed that the Reds have been the most aggressive and are, are at the moment, at least, the favorites uh, to to sign him. I think it's interesting. Um, he's been a center fielder. The I, I, I know next to nothing about Japanese baseball, obviously. You know, you know very <laughs> little about American baseball, Jason. What'd you say? You know very little about American baseball. I mean, tell me about it. <laughs> um, the understanding, my understanding is that he's been a center fielder. He's kind of getting old enough to lose a little bit of that range, so he's probably a serviceable-ish center fielder, but more of a corner guy. Great American ballpark, honestly, it probably doesn't matter all that much. Um, but versatile in the outfield, of course. And most importantly, his on-base percentage is just beautiful. Yeah, through the roof. It's basically at 400 for the last five years. Uh, and he's, yeah. not, he's not missed a game during those five seasons as well. Again, there's going to be some difference in how um, those stats will translate to the big leagues. But the fact is, it's a guy that gets on base. I mean, that we know. And, yeah. Uh, he's at 321 batting average over the last five seasons, but a, a slugging is almost 500 as well. So, I mean, it's some pop, uh, 20 yeah. home runs last year, 24 and 25, the two years before that. So not exactly a, uh, Ichiro Suzuki type hitter, slap hitter. 
So yeah, what's what's interesting to me is that you know I, I guess in the time that we've been seeing Japanese players come over to the majors, uh, the one trait that never seems to quite have transferred in the same way is is home runs. The power hitters haven't seemed to have done as well um, over in the U.S. So I am kind of comforted that his, most of his value does, it doesn't come from power. He's got some power, but that's not where his you know that's not what the Reds are going after him for. If the Reds are going after him. They're going after him for his. Uh, plate discipline, his ability to take a walk, right, and he'll be 32 next year, which is uh, you know on the on the wrong side of the ledger. But those are skills that generally translate well uh, as players age. So my thought was with Akiyama, and we're going to talk a little bit later about Trent. Uh, see, Trent Rosecrans had a another piece of kind of comparing guys we've been comparing really all off season, uh, Marcelo Zuna and Nick Castellanos. But um, given this uh, report here, and, and a report that we heard earlier that he was looking for a two year deal worth 10 million. $10 million it seems like a great value again now that we either of us have seen him play but it got me thinking about what about a, a five-man outfield rotation where you're essentially platoon nixon zell starts pretty much every day in center field and you're platooning jesse winker and philip irvin in left and akiyama and akino in right because akiyama's a left-handed hitter akino's a right-handed hitter so in, if you try to look at it that way i can start to see a fairly productive outfield, or am I uh, am I off the mark there? I don't I don't think you're off the mark. I think you know I, I've said this in a number of instances, and we can go into more depth with it if if we want. But I think that people have somewhat underrated the current Reds outfield assets to some extent. Um, I think there's more offense there than people think there is. I, one of the things that I've wondered though is, and this is going to kind of branch us into something else we probably need to talk about, but if if the Reds sign Akiyama to, say, a multi-year deal, does that then make it easier to trade Nick Senzel if that is something that another team insists upon in order to acquire, I don't know, the best shortstop in baseball or something like that? <laughs> right, and we're going to talk about that as well. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's uh, that's the, actually the topic I was going to get into next, so maybe we can kind of merge these two topics which is that after we uh, posted the podcast last week, there were some more reports about Francisco Lindor, the Indian shortstop, and the fact that they are quote-unquote shopping him. I don't know, but the Indians, the Reds were specifically reported to have at least contacted him and uh, uh, had some made some inquiries. Um, and then the Indians announced that they would like everyone to give you your best offer by the end of the weekend now. So, uh, again, nothing's happened since then. But the Reds are at least technically in the mix here for a guy like Lindor, who we've talked about a lot. There's not a whole lot else to say about what we think about Lindor. He would, I mean, he's exactly the type of guy the Reds need if they want to supercharge this uh, rebuilding process and really get over the top to a competitive team. So I looked at it in, in the sense of if the Reds sign Akiyama, we have a, a pretty good group in the outfield now. You flipped the script a little bit and said, but does it also make Nick Senzel more expendable? Because Nick Senzel has been reported as being a guy that the Indians like anyway. Yeah. So, uh, man, what are your thoughts on trading Nick Senzel in a Francisco Lindor deal? I would do it. Just period, no, full stop? Period, full stop. I mean, I know a lot of people, you know, yeah, that's a lot of control of Nick Senzel. I, I won't disagree with it, um, that you're giving up. But, you know... God, get us to the playoffs. <laughs> you know, if if you have Lindor on this team, 
then that's the Reds are the favorite in the division, period. You add Lindor to this team right now, and they are the favorite in the division. You add Lindor and one more outfield bat, you know, like, let's say that we trade uh, Senzel for Akiyama in terms of outfield, and then you sign one more outfielder, they're far and away the favorites. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's any question. And, you know, I want to just take a minute. I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to get us off the rails here. But I do think it's worth noting, um, you know, everybody talks about, it's interesting to me, I guess, sometimes how how someone has been rated as a prospect can affect the lens through which we look at them. Um, everyone, I think, would agree that Aquino had a much better debut in the majors than Senzel did last year. But because Aquino comes with more struggle and, and less pedigree than Senzel does, he's, he doesn't get quite the the attention, but it, it's interesting to me that Aquino's only a little bit more than a year older than Nick Senzel. It's not like he's three or four or five years older. Um, and I think that perhaps some people are, are selling short what he's uh, what he's capable of. And, and, you know, and Nick Senzel is old enough now, too, where he really needs to show it, you know, at the major league level really quite soon. Um, so I don't know. Those are just, I guess, some various thoughts on things. But I think it's if you can get Lindor, you get Lindor. Period. Full stop. That's it. I'm not sure that I agree uh, completely. I think that mostly I agree. I think that Lindor puts the Reds where you say he puts them. I mean, I think that's a fact. I think that the Reds are are close enough where an elite hit, hitter, especially at a, a premium defensive position like shortstop, really changes uh, the the ceiling for this team. If I'm giving up Nick Senzel, though, I have a hard time giving up a whole lot else. I mean, I, I don't think I'm giving up any other. Uh, well, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I agree, and I, I should say I should say that too. I think if you give up Senzel, uh, it really puts a moratorium on on or I don't know moratorium is the right word. It puts a limit on what other kinds of prospects you're willing to throw. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're talking Senzel and some I'm other highly giving, rated prospect, I, I can't right, do I'm it. I'm giving them uh, India or Lodolo along with Senzel. Like I would maybe give them, you know, kind of a bottom of the top 10 right prospect, yes if that makes okay sense. yeah then we're maybe not as far apart as as i as i thought i just uh, senzel is a really valuable chip and i think that uh you know I, I i think that you may be uh selling him a little little short here although i can't say that you're i can't really argue with the merits of what you're saying but i think he's the biggest breakout candidate on this team next year he's hit everywhere he's oh. ever been he just gotta stay I healthy I completely agree. My my point really was more about how I think people might be underrating Aquino a little bit right now. Um, I think I think Nixon Zell is going to have a good year this year. I definitely do. Um, and you know, if you know, while we're talking about Lindor, I will say that aside from Senzel, like if Senzel weren't in the deal, I would basically tell Cleveland they could have any three prospects out of the system they want. Now I would absolutely do that, and right, I would try right to now. steal them away from Stevenson if I could. Yeah, me too. Um, but otherwise, take who you want. Yeah, no, no question. I think I, I agree. It's it's either or. I mean, it's either a big package yeah. of uh, of minor league guys plus some other nonsense L major leaguer. Yeah, possibly depending on you know I don't have a trade to work out. But uh, if I'm giving up Nick Senzel, that's a really valuable chip to me, and I'm not get, I, mean, I, I might give him up for two years of Lindor. I probably would, but it would hurt, and and it's it's supposed to hurt. You have to give up something to get something. But yeah, uh, Lindor for the next two years in, in the middle of the Reds order certainly would look great. But I I would like Lindor plus Senzel in center. And then I think this is a potentially a World Series team in the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would tend to agree. Uh, I think the Reds are right on the cusp, I think. I mean, I think they're already a good team. They're right on the cusp of being a scary team. 
But we have a good viewer mail question that's going to help us get into that a little bit more. I think you may be a little more bullish on where they are right this very second than I am, but we'll talk about that in a moment. We, we agree on the fact that the Reds need to acquire another outfielder. I think, I think everyone said that. I think the Reds have kind of acknowledged that with yeah. the Akiyama talks and then with the talks with uh, Marcelo Zuna and Nick Castellanos. Uh, Trent, as I said, had a good piece at The Athletic just kind of comparing Ozuna and Castellanos and getting some opinions uh, from around um, the league and, and or from other analysts, and including from Eno Saris, who's uh, one of my favorite analysts there at The Athletic, about you know, who's who's better, Ozuna or Castellanos. And they make a really good argument, all, all of them do, that I, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> you know, um, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty close. Well, they have different, uh, you know, uh, strengths and different weaknesses. Yeah. But in terms of what they're actually going to provide on the field, you can make an argument. That's kind of what Sarah said, you know, Sarah said was you can kind of make an argument for either one of them over the next uh, few years. So, uh, do you have any preference on either of those guys? If though, if it's just those two guys. I do actually, uh, and after thinking hard about it for a while, my my preference is Castellanos, um, and the reason is this: I, you know, when we're talking about sort of the ups and downs of each one, it really comes down to how much do you value defense. Uh, Ozuna is pretty obviously a better defender, um, and I think one of the things that perhaps is not being talked about as much as it should be, especially in context of these kinds of deals is how much defense even matters now um, with a game where fewer balls than ever are in play and positioning has gotten to the level that it's gotten to now. I'm just, I'm not convinced that the publicly available defensive metrics at this point tell us anything useful other than which player is better than which other player in the grand scheme. I don't, I don't think in terms of a fixed value, you can really assign any fixed values to defense now until the, the publicly available metrics get a whole lot better. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. And, and again, it's not like Marcelo Zuna is some, I know he's won a gold glove, but he's not some shining yeah. light in the outfield. He's really not very good. And some metrics have him as worse in the outfield. Yeah. So, And I really, you know, with all fielding stats, this is kind of the way that I'm doing it right now is that you, I feel like you've just got to regress everything hard toward the mean. You know, like, if somebody rates his 20 runs above and below average, in my head, I'm probably cutting that in half. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I, you know, I, I have a lot more skepticism about, I've gone back and forth on defensive metrics, and I'm on the, the, mm-hmm. the low ebb now in terms of my skepticism. I could, I think either of these guys, or even Akiyama, I think any of those three, represent an upgrade for the Reds. None of them are the big-time upgrade that we had hoped for this year. And if they get one of those and that's all they do, then they will not have gotten the big bat that we were hoping for. Yeah. But they would have improved, you know, on the margins at several different places, and that that might be enough. Out of those three, if you throw uh, Akiyama into the mix, who do you prefer? If the Reds can get one of them, who do you prefer? Akiyama. I think I do, too. I think I do too. I, yeah, I, I just I feel like he's going to get on base, and he's probably a better defender as well. He, he seems to me. It seems to me pretty clear that he's going to get on base, and yeah, there's that positional uh, versatility, right? Yeah, you, you play him anywhere in the outfield, right? Yeah. So if Senzel needs a day off right now, I mean, what are we making do with Jesse Winker in center field again? Oh, Travis Jankowski. Yeah, I'm right. I mean, you, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Right. Not really a, a you know 
Um, Philip Irvin, I mean, he can't play center field well. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I like, I like the versatility. I like the fact that he can get on base and, yeah. um, I guess from my perspective, I'll be hoping, I know that I always say it's not a strategy that he, uh, can get on base like he did in, in Japan, but I think there's a pretty good uh, correlation over the years of, of how J- the stats in, in Japanese baseball translate to the big leagues. And it's, uh, the last I saw, and this has been a while back, it's roughly triple a level essentially. So it's like I was triple to the majors. I, mean, I could be wrong about this, but my impression now is that it's a very, a very competitive, what you would probably call four a league. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go then. Um, because the the I think the level of competition has gone up there over the years, so it's getting closer and closer to the major leagues. Not quite on that level yet. Yeah, so I can handle that. And again, any of those guys make sense for me, but I'm not fired up about any of them either. I'm not, you know, like Lindor. Lindor is a guy that I'm willing to. You know, yeah, I'm not. Well, I don't feel about Lindor like I do about any. But I mean, but unless you're going to get. Um, bets in a trade there's no outfielder to fire you up on that level you know what i mean um but akiyama i could get i mean i would get pretty excited about that i think that that would be a really excellent acquisition and i just can't believe that he's looking for this small of a contract as he is maybe that's something that got lost in translation because it doesn't it seems that's been what's been reported all year though is that he was looking for 210 and and i'll admit that i've i've lost track of what the japanese posting system is like now i know it used to be extraordinarily expensive to even get in on a player and I, and that would affect the contracts that players had to take. Um, so that might factor into it. I don't know how that works anymore, but, um, and it's interesting. I would be, I would be really, really thrilled and interested to see what, what goes on with, uh, with him. And, and it would be the first Reds, you know, player from Japan, which would be fun. There are a lot of things to like about that. It, it just seems to me the most intriguing, uh, possible outfield acquisition. I agree. I agree. The only thing uh, I, I might, and I've gone completely back and forth on Ozuna versus Castellanos, but um, the only thing that kind of makes me tip towards him is just his age. He's a little younger than these other guys and uh, should have some big years still ahead of him and uh, and seems to have changed in some ways as a hitter the last few years. He's uh, maturing a little bit. And so, uh, I don't know. Any of those guys will help. We'll see what happens. Yes, it will be. I, I think you know. I think we can feel confident at this point that the Reds are going to get somebody, uh, and that could be, and that should be interesting. Hold on, are, are we confident of that? Yeah, I think they'll get an outfielder. I don't think there's a question. I don't know. They keep coming in second or third in every uh, with every person they try to get. Yeah, I mean, except for the guys that they haven't been linked to at all, and then s- drop on us out of nowhere. That's true. Um, they were they were first for Mike Mustakas. Yeah. All right. Which, you know, the more I think about that, I was pretty lukewarm about it initially, and the more I think about it, the more I like it. I believe, if I remember correctly, that you were on the podcast when we analyzed that and uh, the emergency podcast, and your your initial reaction was, oh, okay. Like, it's fine. Yeah, well, it's because the Reds were so bad at second last year that, you know, uh, a two-and-a-half to three-one player represents, you know, about a three to three-and-a-half <laughs> wins above replacement upgrade. Yeah, and that's what I talk about when I say you, you get a guy like him, and then you um, you bring in a, an outfielder or something, and so maybe you've improved it a couple different areas, um, marginally, but yeah. real real upgrades over what they would have had there before. And I think the Reds can also squeeze some more upgrades about of being more creative with platooning. And I think David Bell probably has the inclination to do things like that. You know, to to I guess to put a, a point on it, and then, you know, we talk about how the Reds spend money and stuff. I think this is a good way to contextualize. Mustakis, which we're way off track now, but but 
indulge me, Chadwick. Sure, anytime. Uh, Moustakis probably represents a bigger upgrade over the Reds' third baseman from last year, or the Reds' second baseman from last year, than Rendon would have represented if they had signed him and traded Suarez. Yeah, that's that's an interesting way to put it, yeah. Like, that's, you know, in terms of... You know, and that's one of those things that I we talk about sometimes and try to stress. And and it's, you know, it's not the total amount of wins above replacement you're expected to contribute. It's how much better do you make that team at that position than they already were. Right. And and that is, that's where Moustakas, uh, that's when you're making an argument in terms of how he helps this team, that's your biggest argument. He's a, you know, yeah. a pretty good player, but he's way better than whatever the Reds would have, uh, you know, could have been comfortable sending out there uh, or what you could have been comfortable, comfortable projecting that, that anyone would do that the Reds had currently on their roster. So um, before we get off this uh, topic, we did have one viewer mail question that uh, sort of is on this topic and it adds a name. So I want to go ahead and, and take a stab at it before we move on. Dwight Kelly asks at patreon.com slash red radio hash Brown viewer mail. There are four available outfielders that have been discussed much lately. Ozuna Castellanos, Akiyama, and he adds Chris, Di- excuse me, Corey Dickerson. Corey Dickerson. Since Mark Ruffalo is a Cincinnati attorney in his latest film, which of the four outfielders would you choose? All right, first of all, Dwight, you're you're banned now for getting me to say Mark Ruffalo on the podcast, my mortal arch enemy. Um, if, you, if you add Dickerson in, what do you think? Does that make does that change things? I mean, Dickerson would be my fourth choice on that list. I think, to be honest, I think they're all close, though. I mean, I, yeah. They're all close, but I think I think he'd be my fourth choice. I'm going to go with uh, Mookie Betts. Yeah, so, um, you know, I there was somebody official. I can't remember the name to save the life of me, and it wasn't. It was like an org guy, like somebody from within a particular organization, who said something about Puig being on the Reds list, like that the Reds were interested in Puig still, um, and that you know that would be interesting. Um, Two-year two deal? Huh? A two-year deal? Yeah, I would do a two-year deal with Yasiel Puig. But, I mean, he's probably, you know, I, I would probably put him near the bottom of the outfield pack just in terms of performance, in terms of personality. He's fine. Bring, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know I, I, I will root. Never before has somebody who was in town for like half a season made me into a bigger fan. Uh, and so I will root for him indefinitely, regardless of where he is. Um, but in terms of like, you know, how good do we expect him to be? I think at this point you kind of have to look at him and say, he is what he's been for the last few years. Yeah. He still has a little bit of that though. If he can put it all together, he's done it before. (laughs) Kind of like Marcelo Zuna has, you know, he's got uh, a little bit of, he had that one great year, which was just uh, crazy good. So if he could, you know, get past the injury issues, his shoulder problems, but anyway, uh, it's the end of the decade. Did you know that, Jason? I, I was aware that the decade was coming to um, a close, yes. And everyone wants to do their, you know, all decade lists, things like that. You know, best of the year, also best of the decade at this time. And we started bouncing off each other. Well, what would be a fun, you know, best of list to do? So we, um, it was Jason's idea. And I'll let you go ahead and explain what your idea was, and then we can get into our our respective lists, which ended up uh, kind of similar in a lot of ways. Right. So my idea was because, you know, listen, if, if we do 
one, lots of people are going to be doing top 10 reds of the decade list, top 10 headers, top 10 pitchers, teams of the decade. Like, that's all going to be done. And if we're honest, if Chad and I were to do that, our list would probably be about the same as everybody else's. Yes. You know, it, it, it's fairly it's fairly obvious. So my idea was, what if we did a top 10 underrated reds of the decade? Um, which seems like something that maybe is not going to be, I guess, common or whatever that, that people are going to think about, but gives us an opportunity to kind of look back at the decade and, and talk about some players who maybe have been forgotten about a little bit more than they should have or, or didn't get as much acknowledgement as they maybe should have, you know, things of that nature. It just gives us a chance to talk about some things we haven't talked about. Yeah, you know, and we didn't really discuss how to define uh, most underrated because I think that is part of uh, the, the discussion that we're going to have here. Uh, about why they're underrated and why we feel like they're underrated. And there's one name on my list in particular that uh, I don't. Yeah, I'm going to make an argument that he was underrated, but uh, maybe a couple names on my list that I may have to argue for. But uh, I thought it'd be fun to talk about some guys that don't get a ton of love necessarily, but that maybe have been uh, been underreported. And I think that this podcast began with as a uh, you know, Adam Dunn fan podcast essentially, <laughs> you because know, I always felt Adam Dunn was a guy who was underrated because he was uh, sort of hammered for his flaws more than he was celebrated for what he actually did well, which was a lot of things. So uh, so it's, it's it's in keeping with the spirit of Red Leg Nation Radio is what I'm telling you, Jason. So good call. You want to tell us? Uh, number? No, I'm no, always here to keep you on the right path, Chad. I appreciate that. Uh, Jason had sent me his list. I hadn't finished my list when he sent me mine, but I, I saw that he'd sent it, but I didn't look at the list until I finished mine because I wanted to, I didn't want to have him in my head ever. But, uh, <laughs> Then I we'll live in your head, Chad. <laughs> Rent-free. that high and tight fastball <laughs> back in 09. Oh, yeah, definitely. But as I looked at our list, uh, seven of the names on our respective top ten lists were actually the same. We each had three that were not not the same. So we have a total of, what, uh, 13 names here. Total, but we're going to go top ten list. I'll let you begin with your number ten. My number ten? Yeah, let's, let's go number ten to one. You want to count them, count them My up? My number ten is uh, Rysel Iglesias. And, you know, it's I put him at number 10 because, one, I don't think he's that underrated. I, you know, I think there are two things here. You're looking at, at for me, I'm looking at performance and how much under, people understand how good that performance has been. Um, I think people mostly understand that Iglesias has been good. I think he took some lumps for a variety of things last year. Um, but overall, he has been an excellent pitcher for the Reds. Um Fangraphs rates him as eighth on the team in wins above replacement um, over in, in, for the decade, um, and he also um, sorry I'll spit this out in a second, but he also has an ERA that's outperforming his peripheral, so he's kind of played better than what his wins above replacement would show. So I just think. He's been a good, a very good pitcher for the Reds in a way that I think probably after last year, some people are already forgetting a little bit. I agree with pretty much everything you said, and he's uh, somewhere else on my list, so I'll save my comments for when we get to him later. My number 10 uh, also showed up on your list, and I had to put him on here, but I do think you can make a real case for Billy Hamilton as underrated. I had him number 10 on my list. Where'd you have him? Uh, I have him at number eight. You can talk about him now or when we get to number eight, but I just Billy Hamilton did a lot of things well. He did a lot of things poorly, 
but he ran the <laughs> he ran the bases well. He, really, he only did one thing poorly. It was just a big thing. <laughs> it's a huge thing, right? Exactly. He he ran the bases exceptionally well when he could get managed to get on the bases. He played an outstanding center field defense. He couldn't hit. That's just a fact. He never learned how to hit, and his career may be over. I'm afraid. Uh, because of that fact, because that is an important thing. But he brought real value to this Reds team uh, throughout the decade of the, the 2010s that people are going to tend to forget because he couldn't hit. Now, some people are going to remember him and maybe overrate him. I think he could maybe be on the most overrated list, too, because uh, you know he was a fan favorite because he was a comic book superhero, as often said. But I think in terms of actual production, he was uh, he was somewhat underrated and even you know had a, a year or two where he was uh, you know a, a real valuable contributor to this team you know he had a three three win season at, at age 25 that's that's when my mania for him of course he hasn't put together three wins uh combined since but still billy hamilton number 10 you want to talk about him now or you want to wait until we get to i'll your... wait till we get to number uh to number eight okay i'm gonna go ahead with my number nine then on the list and here's one where i think we're gonna have to uh you're probably gonna take me to task but let me explain my number nine is johnny cueto now, here's why I say that. Okay. I'm not sure that people realize that Johnny Cueto rates up there with Jose Rijo as probably the two best red starting pitchers since 1950 in terms of what they did in a Reds uniform. I mean, you might be right about that. Uh, you know, I don't know if I can argue with you on that. I understand where you're coming from. Um, you know, I, it might be a circumstance where so deep does my love for Johnny Cueto, uh, and his internet, Instagram, oh specifically goodness. personality run that it, it's, it's become inconceivable to me that he could be underappreciated. Um, but you might be right that overall he is underappreciated. You know, I've said before that I thought if the Reds had signed him long term, that he had a chance to go down as the greatest pitcher in Reds history. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, you know, he was here from his 24 to 29 year old years and, uh, just, I don't know what you can say. I mean, he was, his numbers stack up against anyone else, uh, at least certainly post 1950, uh, in, in Reds history. And, and I, I know everyone knows that he was great, but I'm not sure that Reds fans today understand. And some of this is because most Reds fans, I think don't have a real, um, historical view of this franchise. And I always like to look in terms of this franchise because they've got so much history. So many players have come through this, this club. Um, and he just compares very well to the greats in the history. So uh, I say he's underrated because I'm not sure he's recognized as an all time Cincinnati Reds. Great. Um, as he should be. So that's why I say that. Who do you have at number nine? Uh, at number nine, I have Anthony DiSclafani. DiSclafani did not make my list, but I'm intrigued by your inclusion. Let's hear it. So, um, basically, you know, I did a couple of things. I went through and looked at individual seasons and, and kind of looked at the roster for every year just to bring various names into my head. Uh, and then I also looked at, at leaderboards. And I think that because he's been injured, like leaderboards for the decade, and I think that because he's been injured so much, it's, it's easy to think that he's only been okay, I guess, for the Reds or that he hasn't contributed uh, like he should have because he hasn't contributed as much as we would have thought he would. Um, but again, at least on fan graphs, he rates as the sixth most valuable pitcher for the decade for the Reds. And I don't think most people would, would have guessed that. 
um, you know, because he missed basically almost two seasons with an injury. But the three seasons that he has been around and been a contributor to the Reds, uh, it's been good years, and he's really made a big impact for them. Uh, And he's been a valuable piece, and I'm not sure that people necessarily realize exactly how valuable he has been. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think even this year when he was really good and healthy this year, I still heard a lot of criticism of Anthony DiScalfani. I think anytime someone's not a uh, an ace, you just, you're going to hear criticism for some reason. But people uh, don't like DiScalfani because he was hurt and as if he were trying to get hurt. Um, but uh, DiScalfani, when he's been able to pitch, has been, has been good. And uh, he's going to be an intriguing candidate to see what the Reds do with him at the end of next year, whether they're going to try to bring him back. Yeah. You know, he'll be 30 this year, I believe. And, uh, you know, um, the health problems, he had big time health problems, two straight years. Uh, if he can be healthy for a second straight year, he's probably a, a productive, uh, like a number four starter at least. Yeah. yeah. Interesting to see what the Reds do. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of, uh, of disco fan of his nickname you know, too. As, as I'm f- fond of saying, and I'm just going to, especially on this podcast, I'm just going to continue to, to beat the drum of trying to recontextualize people's understandings of, of, what starting pitchers provide in the modern era really on most teams he's a two or a three starter in terms of the value he provides when he is healthy and pitching like he's he is better than a lot of people think that he is because there just are not that many lights out lots of innings starting pitchers around anymore and the, the sad fact is if he hadn't been hurt those two years he's probably the number one starter here um, and and not that he's technically an ace, but maybe people think differently of him. I don't know uh, if he's the best pitcher yeah. on the staff. Uh, kind of like we think uh, fondly of uh, Aaron Harang, who had some great years, but he was sort of the workhorse of a, of a bad staff, and he wasn't an all-time great pitcher for the Reds, but he was really good. Yeah. Um, so I like it. I like Disco. I didn't put him on there. You had Hamilton eighth, though, so let's move on to that. Uh, tell me what you say about Billy Hamilton, because I like listening to people talk about Billy Hamilton. You know, a lot of it is the same as, as what you say, and, it, and it's just a matter of he was so bad at hitting that it became easy to underrate his other skills. You know, it's one of those deals like how uh, your OPS correlates with the probability that you'll win a gold glove, which is ridiculous. You know, like all those kinds of things. Right. Just, you know, a, a, he was, except for when he was in the batter's box, he was just such a beautiful player to watch. You know, on the bases in center field. God, I will. I mean, I will never forget watching Billy Hamilton run the bases. Some of the things he did—they're just—they were inconceivable until he was on the team. Yeah, and you know, it's just—it's remarkable. And I don't know that we will ever see anything quite like him again. And I, and he was so good defensively and on the bases that I, again, I think people just underrate him considerably. And I think that really, you know. I don't know. That's it. I just think that he's gotten so maligned. Like you said, people have talked so much about the things that he was bad at that it becomes easy to forget the things that he was really great at. He was fast. God, he was so fast. He was fast. Can you you imagine being that fast? (laughs) No, I certainly cannot. I can't. I I mean, you know, I I still just, I'm, I'm, this is the what if scenario. He could just had figured out how to get on base at a league average clip. He's an all-star. Yeah. I mean, because everything else, it was great. Because if he gets yeah. on base at a league average clip, he's scoring a ton of runs because he scores at an outsized percentage of the time he's on base. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, Billy. What if? Yes, indeed. All right. So we're going to move on to, let's see, that was your number eight. Till now, my number eight 
And as we're talking here, I'm not sure I'm going to, I think I'm going to have some difficulty defending this one. My number eight most underrated red of the decade that just finished, Shinsu Chu. Am I crazy? Yeah. <laughs> I say underrated because he was here for such a short amount of time. And people, Maybe this is just, I don't, it's the uh, 10 reds that I don't want you to forget. Right. More than yeah. underrated. Because I want people he to remember what. He, I think he is the player um, over whom most of, many of us, he's the short-term player that we get the most starry-eyed over. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Remember oh. that year we had Shinsu Chu and how great that was? Because uh, it was great. It was. And it was and it was, I, I think, arguably also the best year of his career. 423 on base after the years of Corey Patterson and Willie Tavares at the top of the lineup. Man, it was <laughs> it was glorious. It was beautiful, and it was perfect, and we will never forget it. But I'm sorry, Chad. He's not under. <laughs> no, probably not. Every, every Reds fan who remembers <laughs> him playing, you mentioned his name, and they're like, oh, that was a good year. I mean, he wasn't a center fielder, but, you know, he, boy, could he hit. Right. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, he had a little bit of what Billy had. And what I think maybe just over the years I've gotten more enjoyment out of it. It's something that Eugenio Suarez has on the current Reds, which is just, you know, they kind of seem like they're having fun out there and they seem like good guys. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I like guys like that being around more than I more than I used to. There's there's a French phrase for it that, that we maybe need to use in context of some of these guys. Joie de vie. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and those guys have that. And I like having those guys around. Shinsu Chu probably not, not overrated, though. So I'm going to move on to my... Um, well, let's move on to your number. Actually, our six and seven are the same people, but just we have, in different orders. We have them flipped. Your your number seven is Jay Bruce, and yeah, your, and your number six is Dan Straley. My number seven is Dan Straley, and number six Jay Bruce. So let's talk about those two together. Pick whichever one you want to start with. I'll take Jay. He was affable. Another guy. He was affable, and you know, I, I think you also can kind of talk about. He's kind of like. There are some similarities with Billy Hamilton and Jay Bruce, I think. Um, the difference is in the expectations people have for them. And I think that what happens is that they both missed the expectations by roughly the same amount. Um, Jay Bruce was a much better player than Billy Hamilton overall. Um, but he was not as good as he was supposed to be. Jay Bruce was supposed to be what Joey Votto was. Um, and it just, it never happened. It never materialized mostly because of, you know, plate discipline slash inability to, uh, inability to make contact in the way that he probably needed to on a consistent basis. Um, but it was, you know, but still he was a really, really good player. He ranks as the fourth most valuable position player of the decade for the Reds. Just, just weeks out ahead of Eugenio Suarez, a lot more playing time than Suarez, but, you know, so on a per-season basis, he's not there. But, he, you know, he was a good player for the Reds and had a couple of really excellent years. So I, and I think that we need to remember that about him. He's the quintessential, to my mind, he doesn't come in number one on our list, but he is the quintessential underrated player because he was never able to live up to the lofty expectations, as you said. Yeah. I think that's why he's underrated. And people don't really realize how productive he was because there were just these expectations that he was going to be Joey Votto. He was the number one prospect in baseball. Um, and he had a great career for the Reds, a really good career for the Reds. I'd give anything to have 
you know, five guys like him come up through any decade, come up through the uh, Reds organization. So his is uh, totally a function of, I just think people don't realize how productive he was because they expected him to be so much more. And, and he did have that kind of talent, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, still great career. And, uh, and again, affable, love that guy. I'm always going to be a big fan of Jay Bruce, no matter where he goes. So affable. So affable. Now we had Dan Straley in this grouping as well. And here's why what I say about Dan Straley. There are two, two primary reasons why he is underrated. Number one, and I'm going by baseball reference numbers here. He was worth 4.3 wins above replacement in uh, his one year in Cincinnati. For his entire career, other than that year, he's been worth exactly one win above replacement. I just want to uh, butt in here and, and make clear to people the following number explains why you should always take pitching wins above replacement with a grain of salt. According to fan graphs, he was worth 1.2 that year. <laughs> there you go then. Uh, but he was good that year. He was good. It was yeah. the best year of his career. Um, and so he's underrated because people forget that because he was, you know, a, a good pitcher on a bad team. But the other reason why he's underrated is Dan Straley <laughs> brought so much value to the Reds simply uh, by the fact that he was picked up for nothing and traded for Luis Castillo, who is going to be a, the ace here for a while, looks like. So uh, that's why he's underrated. He was good for the Reds on the mound. But man, in his wake, what he brought back to the Reds is going to pay dividends for years, right? Yes, and I, you know, my reasons were much the same as yours. The the only thing I will say in addition is that you know, as as Reds fans, we've watched a lot of bad baseball, and so we can appreciate some of the small things. And you know, one of the small things is that on a bad year when your team stinks, if there is a pitcher who every five days makes your team watchable, it matters and it's appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after some of the years we've been forced yeah. to endure. Um, so Dan Stray, well, that's our six through 10. Let's move on to the top five now. Top five. Top five. We'll go with your top five, your number five top guy, because it's a guy that does not show up on my list. Tucker Barnhart. Yeah, Tucker. Um, you know, I think that... <clears throat> Because the Reds have obviously tried to upgrade over the last couple of years, um, that Tucker has kind of taken some lumps, I guess, in, 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 in the fandom. And also the way, different ways that catcher defense has started to be you know, evaluated. But I, I think there are a couple things that need to be noted. One is that any time he has received good coaching, he has gotten obviously better right away. Um, in, in the, the classic example of that is the pitch framing this year where nobody ever talked to him about it and he rated as one of the worst in the league and they talked to him about it this year and now he's one of the best in the league. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, to some extent, stuff like that, you know, it, it's one of those things that it, it's a new thing in baseball and, you know, while certainly it affects his value, I don't think it's necessarily fair to hold him accountable for the organization being behind in coaching their players correctly. Um, and, you know, the other thing is just that he has been, he's regarded as a good catcher. He's clearly a huge intellect. He understands the game. Pitchers really like throwing to him, and, and I'm still of the mindset that that matters a lot. Um, he does tend to get on base at least a little bit. He has zero power, and I don't think we should ever expect him to. But he can take a walk, and he's, you know, he's very old school. He's kind of what you expected of a catcher say, in the mid to late 80s. Um, 
that, you know, now catchers are expected to hit with a little more power or whatever, but, you know, and, and Tucker doesn't do that. But he's not an embarrassment with the bat. He gets on base a little bit. And I think he's a solid all-around player, and I don't think he's necessarily gotten his due the last couple of years. You know, I have been uh, guilty of wanting the Reds to upgrade every position. And certainly, uh, catcher is one of those positions, and the Reds have been in on J.T. Rail Muto last year, and this year is Monty Grandal, very publicly. And every time they miss out on on one of these guys, I, I start looking at it and I think, well, you know what, I'm really kind of okay with you know, a Barnhart, whoever, right now, yeah. Casale, but um, a Barnhart-Casale uh, combo, but uh, with Barnhart getting uh, the line share of the playing time because all the things you just said. I mean, Barnhart is Barnhart's a good major league baseball player. I've said for years I think he'll have a 15-year career because, you know, at some point he's still going to be a great backup yeah. uh, catcher for someone, and he's a great uh, clubhouse guy. And um, I just, you know, I don't have any problem – whatsoever with Tucker Barnhart. And I think underrated is probably the right uh, right term for him, even though, I, again, I didn't have him on my list. Um, and, you know, if, if we look at if you look at catching stats kind of overall, you look at league catching stats, his bat is basically league average for a catcher. Right. That's that's where he gets underrated. And so then it really comes to a matter of how how much do you trust the defensive statistics? Yeah. Um, and I think everybody thinks that Tucker Barnhart is an excellent defensive catcher. So you've got an excellent defensive catcher with a league average bat at the catching position. And I, I think that, again, there, there you go. He doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Yeah. No, I think I agree with you there. And, uh, and I'm a, I'm a Tucker Barnhart fan. My number five is a guy that you have a little higher on your list. You can talk about him either now or later, but it's uh, Jesse Winker. Jesse Winker. I seriously consider putting him number one on this list after the things I've heard uh, over the last uh, two years about Jesse Winker. Everyone's happy about Mike Moustakas' signing. Go look at their numbers. Jesse Winker's been a better hitter in the big leagues than Moustakas. Yep. I mean, yep. he just, he just, he's, he's a better hitter. Now, yes, you have to. He can't play defense very well. Um, I don't think he's as bad as everyone says, but he's not uh, an above-average defender. And no, you can't let him hit against left-handed pitchers. Okay, fine. But against right-handed pitchers, he absolutely rakes. He is young. He is still just, he'll be 26 this year. I don't know why Jesse Winker is not one of the centerpieces of this organization right right now. I just, I, while conceding that you have to platoon him, I, I don't understand why he's not considered to be a star in Cincinnati. I don't know why he's not more popular because the guy just hits and he's fun too. He's a fun guy to have around. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm, I'll go ahead and talk about Jesse Winker now because I'm, I'm eager to talk about him <laughs> because. As you point out, he doesn't hit left-handers at all. Like, not at all. But even with how much he does not hit left-handers, his career stats are still, offensive stats, are still better than literally, like, this is not hyperbole. You can go look at the numbers. They are better than every single outfielder who was available as a free agent this offseason. There are no outfielders who have better career offensive numbers in terms of rate stats and, you know, runs created plus and all that stuff than Jesse Winker has. Yeah. And, and that's including his at bats against, against left-handers. But don't, don't you get the sense that nobody knows that in among Cincinnati Reds fans? What? Don't you, don't you get the feeling that no Reds fans really not know, but a lot of Reds fans just don't understand that, that he's actually really good. They really don't. And Lord, if you give him, you know, just bat him against right-handers, which is still going to get him 400 plate appearances. 
right? Or more, yeah. I mean, then he's see, he's one of the best hitter outfielders in the league in terms of his bat. Yeah, and so you can only play him in what seventy five percent of the games. Okay, yeah, <laughs> you know that's not that bad. Uh, no, I agree, Jesse Winker, uh, and you had him uh, higher. Um, and yeah, I had him at number three. Yeah. You had him at number three, and and I seriously consider putting him number one. So you could probably argue for any of those. Uh, completely underrated, and uh, it's again maybe it's a, a, an Adam Dunn situation where uh, you know there are things he doesn't do well, but man, why aren't we marveling over how well he does the things he does well? So my number four, as we move in uh, further into this top five here, my number four most underrated red of the decade is someone that did not appear on your list, Matt Latos. Matt Latos pitched for the Reds for two and a half years. Yeah. Um, he was good. He was he was well above average each of those years. He had a, a famous flame out uh, with the team and uh, and with baseball. And he was remembered as kind of a knucklehead, nuclear type. And there are reasons for that. But when he was with Cincinnati, he was a legitimately good starting pitcher. 14 and 4, 3.48 ERA in his first year, 33 starts. 14-7, 3.16 ERA. To use the old school numbers, 5-5, five five, 3.25 before he was traded in his age 26 season. And everyone wants to forget Matt Latos, probably because he didn't have enough T's in his first name. But uh, but he was pretty good for the Reds, and uh, and I feel like underrated because of some of the, uh, you know, he's the opposite of what we were talking about with Suarez in those groups, you know. He's the kind of guy you're like, ugh, I'm not, not that thrilled about having this guy around. But he was pretty good when he was here, right? He he was, and you know what? What I would argue with Latos is, I don't think anybody underrates how good he was. I think people just don't want to talk about him because he failed the be a human test so hard. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, you know, he just. It just I feel like it's, the further we get away from him, the further people forget how good he was and remember the other things that make him more memorable. Unfortunately, which is being a jerk. Um, yeah. Allegedly, uh, I don't have any actual physical proof of that. Don't sue me, Matt Latos. All right, you're number four. I do, if you do choose to sue me, though, I do know some lawyers. Uh, you're number four. Am I taunting Matt Latos now? You might be. I'm not. I don't want to taunt Matt Latos. kind of you really don't because he's dumb <laughs> enough to accept the taunt. He could go off at any moment. Um, number four is going to be. And there's listen. There's no way in the world that Matt Latos has listened to, uh, you know, 45 minutes plus of this nonsense. Um, I like the guy you had number four. He's not on my list, but I think it's easy to make an argument for him. And, uh, and I'm happy to hear you do that. Tell us who your number four is. Uh, my number four is J.J. Hoover. Hold on. Ho, ho, ho. I was led to believe that J.J. Hoover was the worst pitcher ever to pitch for the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, I believe that you were due largely to what happened to him in 2016. But as it turns out, he pitched for the Reds in four seasons before that, which many, many people forget. And generally speaking, his numbers over that time were really excellent. He is one of those classic players who's kind of pitched better than his peripheral said he should have. So his wins above replacement doesn't look good, for instance. But I mean, for, you know, also for some of the last competitive Reds teams, he was an important part of the bullpen. He was not the closer. He did not pick up saves. You know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a, a high visibility pitcher, but he was a very good pitcher on in what were some really pretty good bullpens. 
But still, I mean, even in those bullpens, his numbers overall ended up being among the best on the team. And I think it's easy to forget that there was a time when J.J. Hoover warming in the bullpen did not, in fact, strike fear into the hearts of Reds fans. It was like, oh, good, he's going to come in and get three outs, and then we'll move to the next inning. Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. I think with him, he, I have uh, hard feelings about him because as he started to go bad, I was in the camp saying, oh, come on, he's been good up until now. He's going to sort this out. And they didn't sort it out. You know, so I, I held on to him, uh, held hope, held out hope a little bit longer than probably I should have. But for a while, he was a, he was a good reliever. And I liked having him come into the game. So I, I liked your inclusion of him at number four on your most underrated Reds of the decade. Uh, number three, we've mentioned our, each of our number threes already, so we won't say too much more about him. You've already talked Who's about your it. number three? I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. Uh, yours was Jesse Winker. My number three, Roselli Glacius, who uh, wow. we talked about her year number 10. I just uh, I won't say much more about him other than uh, I think that people got really frustrated with Iglesias for good reasons this year, this past year, but but he has been just unbelievable, a lights-out pitcher, and, and one of the most uh, effective pitchers that I've ever seen just in terms of what he can make a ball do. I've, I've marveled over him here on the podcast many times. I won't say much more. I just, I think Rosella Iglesias has criminally, been criminally underrated throughout his career. Um, now we're up to our top two and I, I like the way this worked out because our top two, I think it worked out this way because they, they are clearly the two most underrated reds of the decade. And I think it's far and away as it turns out, but we had the exact same two p- players in the exact same two spots. Well, so, there you go. So our number two, I'll, I'll let you talk about him if you want. Ryan Hannigan. I mean, where do you start? What an incredibly underrated player. Not uh, drafted. Not not drafted. But, you know, he was kind of like... if <clears throat> He was as good as you could imagine. And we've already talked about Tucker Barnhart as being underrated. So I, I, this is not meant as a, as a slight on Tucker Barnhart. But he was as good as you could possibly imagine Tucker Barnhart being. Like, he was a little bit better with the bat, had a couple of seasons where he was average or above average for the league with the bat, and just defensively was outstanding and is one of those uh, catchers also who, as we have learned about pitch framing and those numbers have started to get incorporated, it only enhances his reputation and makes him look much better. And And it really you know, makes you understand what an important part he must have been of those, those, that last run of competitive teams that the Reds had just uh, in tremendously underrated because I think a player who, who was, you know, it's weird to say this for somebody who's only been out of baseball for a couple of years, but he was before he, he came before his time. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he got the lion's share of the starts at catcher during the uh, 2010 to 2013 years where the Reds were uh, competitive and, he is the definition of underrated to me. Just, uh, you know, he was Tucker Barnhart plus in some ways. I mean, you know, the, the defense yeah. obviously, but this guy got on base really until the very end of his career. I mean, uh, I'm surprised he's not going to keep playing until he's 48. You know, he was always able, he did decline some uh, with Boston and Colorado at the end, but um, yeah. he got on base at a big time clip for the, you know, in the 350, 360, 370 uh, range uh, for his entire time with the Reds. Uh, essentially, um, I think he had a three three fifty nine on base percentage career with the with the Reds, and so not, just elite defense. And I'll put him up against anyone that was in the league at the same time as him, in terms of yeah. defense. Um, no, no question whatsoever. 
but he he could get on base. He knew how to get on base. Couldn't hit with much power. You know, he had uh, what uh, twenty home runs in seven years with the Reds. But he get on base. So that's a guy. You know, and and you want to root for him. He was not drafted. He had to fight his way all the way, every step of the way, and uh, you know, carved out an eleven year big league career. So kudos to Ryan Hannigan. Our number one. Can we get a drum roll here? No. Okay, maybe not. Um, our number one. To me, this was far and away my number one. Oh, I knew this when I suggested it. I knew who my number one was going to be. <laughs> I didn't start looking look at the numbers, but Mike yeah. Leake. How underrated yeah. is Mike Leake? Incredibly. Actually, here, I will explain to you exactly how underrated Mike Leake is. Okay, I'm listening. If you look at their career numbers, Mike Leake and Trevor Bauer have been essentially the same pitcher. Yeah, no one will believe that. Leake never had the year like Bauer had in, what, 2017? Right. Bauer had one great year, but he's also had a couple of crappy years, whereas Leak has just been rock steady every single year of his career. Yeah. It's it's hard for people to, to believe. You can get value in different ways. Yeah. You know. Um what about what about this uh what about this stat? In the decade of the this can't be right. I had to have done a search that was this has to be wrong. I can't be right. Baseball reference, I did a search for who had the most wins of a replacement in the decade yeah. of the uh, 2010s. And, of course, Joey Votto was number one, Brandon Phillips number two. Um, the number three guy on that list was Zach Kozar. We probably could have included him in this list, maybe. Although I, he, I think he's properly rated. <laughs> the 17th best hitter of the decade for the Reds. <laughs> what? By wins above replacement, the 17th best hitter was Mike Leake. 2.8 wins that- above replacement uh, uh, offensively by hitting. That's fascinating. I just clicked over and I'm looking at his Fangraphs stats now. Fangraphs has him, this is his career, so I don't know about just his Reds years, but Fangraphs has him as 3.0 wins above replacement for his career so far. And looking at it, most of that clearly comes with the Reds. Yeah. Um, that, that's when I looked at it I said, wait a minute, that's the most underrated guy. I mean, he, he we knew he could hit, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just. It's crazy. He was just, he was really good every year. Not really good. He wasn't really good every year. But he was, he was good every really year. Good for, I mean, we're talking about his hitting still, right? Well, no, I'm talking about overall. Okay. I was going to say his hitting was really good for a pitcher every year, which you throw in that positional uh, adjustment, and that's that's where he gets his offensive war. But anyway, continue. No, I'm just saying he was, he was good every year for the Reds. And yeah. people think of him as a number five starter when he was never a number five starter because he was on those great rotations. So, no, the Reds were—I don't use the word "blessed" in a non—in an unironic way very often, but the Reds were blessed to have Mike Leake as their number five starter. Yeah, no question about it. No question. All right, let's get into some viewer mail here questions. Then we'll get out. Uh, that was a lot of fun, though, Jason. The top ten most underrated Reds. Thank you for suggesting that. I had a good time compiling that list. Yeah, that was fun. All right, some viewer mail. These come from uh, Hash Brown. Oh, no, this comes from patreon.com slash redlegradio, Hash Brown viewer mail. First question comes from Joe Farsing. Joe asks, and I've come to expect these questions. I, th- I said it was a holiday-themed episode, so his question was, Matt Holiday, Roy Halliday, or Billy Holiday? You want to take that one or you want me to get it? It's Billy Holiday, no question. It's not even close. First of all, Roy Halliday, how dare you mention him on this podcast? Rest in peace, but... Uh, yeah. You know he and Matt Holiday is a distant third. If we're being honest, oh yes, absolutely. Billy Holiday, go listen to her sing uh, "Blue Moon." Oh my goodness, come on, Billy Holiday, clearly. Um, 
Bill Lack asks, oh yeah, Bill Lack, I know him. Um, he says, Doug mentioned, Doug Gray mentioned it taking a number of years, five or so, to determine if the new minor league system slash process is working. Shouldn't that translate into our minor league teams winning more if we've got players developing slash performing better? Uh, my answer is uh, probably. Yeah. I've never been that interested in what, I know the people that live in Dayton and people that live in Billings and, and everywhere else. And, I know and, and Louisville, like you do, right, uh, yeah. you prefer to see a, a winning team. Um, I, it, it should if we have more players that are, are better players who are developing better. Yeah, it should. I would think so. Um, yeah. To me, though, I, I won't care as long as they graduate guys to the big leagues that help the big league roster. So Joe has another question. Uh, your grade for the Reds postseason so far. I'm giving them a solid B plus so far. Yeah, I was going to say a B minus. So we'll say B. Yeah, B. Yeah, we'll grade on a curve. It's a B. I don't even know what that means, grade on a curve. You're the teacher here. Feels like an 85% to me. Okay, okay. Rich Thompson asks, what is more important in Reds history? Tom Browning's perfect game or Jose Rijo's two-game uh, 1990 World Series MVP performance? More important in Reds history. To me, that... I, I mean, I, it's got to be Riho, no question. Pretty clear, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Browning, we, we obviously he's Mister Perfect. He's gonna he's gonna always be around us because of that. Yeah, but uh, man, but a World Rio. Series is a World Series. Yeah, we don't have too many of those. So, yeah. of course, we've only got one perfect game. We got five World Series. <laughs> I'd trade the perfect game for a World Series. Oh, yes, perhaps in two thousand twenty. Woo the Reds asks. That's his actual name, by the way. Woo the Reds. Yeah, he had it legally changed last year, I hear. He did, yes. His question is, do you see this team as currently constructed as an 86-win team? And he references uh, Clay Davenport's projections, which show the Reds as an 86, as this thing stand right now, an 86-win team. And also, interestingly enough, uh, as the that would put them in first place by the projections in the National League Central. So do you see this team as currently constructed as an 86-win team? Jason Lindham. Yeah, I do. Um, and I think that comes with a lot of caveats. Um, you know, I think notably the Reds were much better than the run differential last year. So the amount they needed to improve was smaller than I think a lot of people thought it was. Um, they've added, you know, through their acquisitions, they, they probably have added, and also through things like Nixon Zell developing and things like that. You know, I think they probably added five or six ish wins. And that's what they would roughly need to be about an 86-win team. The caveats are also that no one else in the division has gotten better. Several teams in the division have gotten worse, and that helps. And there's still a lot of free agents to be signed out there. So we have to kind of wait and see how everything shakes out at the end of the offseason. But yes, right now I would agree they're an 86-win team. I'm not a computer projection model, but if I were, I'd be a lot sexier. But also, I would have said 84 wins, probably. So I can buy 86. I don't have a problem with yeah. that. But I do feel like the Reds, as currently constructed, again, today, I feel like they're so thin that they things could the bottom could fall out really easily. Yeah. A couple of key injuries or players not performing. I think we were depending too much on, on hope, on players uh, progressing, things like that. So the bottom could fall out, and they could be fourth place or last place again. Uh, the, yeah, the Reds, the Reds need to not be done. Yes, yeah, they can't be done yet. But I can see an 86-win team, and, and that seems like a, a, an amazing dream to those of us who have lived through the last five years. But uh, the Reds can be better than that. 
Can I throw out an, a, a, a terrifying image for you right now, Chad? <laughs> I wish you would. I'll bring everybody out in Reds line down a little bit. You ready? Let's hear it. Imagine if the Reds don't sign a shortstop and then Freddie Galvis gets hurt. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Nick Senzel? Reds need to sign a shortstop. Yeah, they got to get they got to get somebody. They got to get somebody. Yeah. Yikes. Who's yeah. who? As a as a backup is, you know, if you had to live with him for half a season at either short or second, you wouldn't. Right. Especially in the event of an injury, you'd be like, "All right, I can live with that." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's a guy that, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, he's not, I wouldn't want him to start, but here this is these are desperate times. I can live yeah. with it." Oh, mercy. Yeah, that's bad. Stephen Offenbaker Stephen, the host of the Reds Alert podcast, asks, does Bill Lack dress as Santa for the Red Leg Nation Christmas party? If so, the picture of Chad sitting on his lap should definitely be shared on Twitter.com. Happy holidays to all you guys from me and mine here in Hawaii. Aloha. Well, the answer to that is uh, Bill actually was has not been invited to the last few Red Leg Nation Christmas parties because of his behavior back in the early 90s. Yeah, those are incidents that we try not to talk about because yeah, yeah. Bill's, you know, he's done a lot of work and we, we don't want to shame him. Yeah, love you, Bill, um, but that's one place that you're just not permitted to be around the rest of us. Louis Fetch asks, and this is a good question, uh, Louis, does the timing of Nick Senzel hiring Scott Boris seem interesting? If you missed the news this week, Nick Senzel changed agents and he's now with Scott Boris's agency. He's not negotiating a signing bonus or contract extension, and it comes at a time with the Chris Bryant hearing on service time and his name amongst trade rumors for Lindor. Um, interesting. I don't. I don't know that I would say it's interesting. I don't know that we can say that he's uh, not negotiating contract extension. Because if I were the Reds, I'd be trying to negotiate a contract extension with him. Uh, yeah. Now's when they signed uh, Eugenio Suarez. Essentially, um, I'd be trying uh, if I could. Uh, but uh, the likelihood of that happening is I don't know. I don't know what it is actually. I don't have any idea. But uh, Boris may change that. Th- that. Does it seem interesting to you that the hiring of Scott Boris? Yeah, I think players change agents all the time, and I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, I will say that if I were Nick Senzel, I would be going nowhere near a contract extension right now because I would want one more year to, to put up some really good numbers, and then I would want to come to the table. Right, right, right. And, and frankly, I think I'd hold the Reds hostage a little bit for the way they treated him uh, last year. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, He's not in a situation to do that right now. And i got to say, Senzel and everyone around him has said nothing but the right things about all that nonsense that the Reds pulled. I can say it. It was complete service time garbage. Um, they're not saying it. They're, I mean, Senzel has been so uh, disciplined in his comments about that. But, uh, you know, Chris Bryant's, uh, he's he's fighting hard against the service time games the Cubs played against him. And so, you know, I don't know if Senzel got uh, He didn't have the same uh, argument that Bryant has, I don't think. But it's I guess it is interesting. Matt Sheary asks, is Santa a whole milkman or like a 2% milkman? I mean, it's 2% <laughs> at my house, so. Yeah, he's, he's been traditionally 2% at my house as well. Actually, the last few years, that uh, or last couple years, uh, he's actually been a skim milk guy, which means that uh, he got poured down the drain. Listen, man, skim milk is water that's lying about being. <laughs> Thank you, Ron Swanson. Uh, Rich Thompson had another question. Better Christmas Carol movie, 1951 Christmas Carol featuring Alastair Sim, or the 1984 f- version featuring George C. Scott? I've got I've got an answer here. I don't think I've seen either of those. To tell you the truth. Well, it's clearly George C. Scott because George C. Scott, born in the great town of Wise, Virginia, also where I grew up. So George C. Scott, the second Here's- most famous uh, resident or uh, you know, descendant of Wise County. 
Me being first. My A Christmas Carol hot take is that it is best experienced either as a piece of theater or red. I don't think I don't think you can really do it justice as a film for some reason. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. We we saw it on stage at the a local theater here a few years ago, that the, the State Theater of Virginia, and it's, oh my goodness, it was amazing. Uh, final question from Nathan Connor. Red Lake Nation's written much about Shogo Akiyama. Were the Reds ever considering Yoshitomo Tsutsugo before he signed with Tampa Bay? How do those two players compare? Um, and I'll just quickly, I didn't uh, give you this uh, question before we started, uh, so you could prepare, Jason, but, um, and you may have thoughts as well, but uh, there were no reports that the Reds were in on uh, Tsutsugo, Um Su Su Sugio. Oh mercy! I, I went there. Um, bad defender in uh, on a corner outfield. Um, frankly, uh, big time home run hitter, certainly, and just going to be twenty eight next year. But uh, I, you know, um, the Reds need another uh, bad defensive player. Maybe probably not. And uh, I don't see that the Reds were really in on him, though. If the Rays signed him. It makes you think, oh, maybe the Reds should have been, uh, you know. So, anyway, that's my thoughts on him. Anything else you want to say, Jason? Yeah, yeah, kind of the same. Same deal. All right, well, uh, that's going to be episode number 302 of Red Leg Nation Radio. You can uh, subscribe everywhere you get your podcasts. I'm not going to go through that list again because we've run long once again. Jason, you always talk too much. Um, <laughs> Jason's at Jason Linden on Twitter. I'm at Dotson C. You can follow us at Red Leg Radio on Twitter. Go at Red Leg Nation and uh, at redlegnation.com, uh, where we write about the Reds uh, and have been every day since 2005. You can uh, uh, subscribe to uh, support the podcast at patreon.com slash redlegradio if you wish. Love all you guys that have uh, been uh, participating over there. Thank you so much for your support. It is uh, greatly appreciated. Jason, any final holiday thoughts for us here? Um, I would not mind a late Christmas present from the Reds in the form of a shortstop. Oh, man, what a Christmas present that would be. You're talking about Jose Iglesias, right? For Jason Linden and Mike Leake, this is Chad Dotson saying, so long, everyone. Thanks for listening to Red Leg Nation Radio from RedLegNation.com. Subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio on iTunes or through your favorite podcast app. And join us for discussion of all things Reds at RedLegNation.com. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.